I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Caitlin Cassiello. And we love to watch. We love to watch. All definitions of podcasts have been erased. All the mics are open now. Hi. <laughs> I just wanted to start this off by being really pretentious. That was, that's a Oh no, my beard theme. fell off. You could have started with uh, doing an interview with the other person announcing what show it was. <laughs> <laughs> the, the funniest, I did see the funniest letterbox review that I saw about this movie, which we haven't announced yet, but that's fine. You'll figure it out later on, uh, was that a good movie, but someone accidentally edited all the special features into my copy. <laughs> <laughs> See, but for me, the special features are the fun part. Well, so. exactly. No, I think it's great, but that is, that was a pretty... Uh, I read it before watching the movie, and I'm like, what the fuck is he talking about? And then, of course, <laughs> you watch the movie, and you're like, oh, good I joke, saw. random letterbox user. Yeah, you get, the, you get the background of the sex scenes. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. yeah it is a really It is a really awkward way... It, it is a really awkward way to end uh, a sex scene. It's just like you're you're kind of enjoying the sensuality of the moment, and then all of a sudden, there's you realize there's like ten Japanese filmmakers in the room, just yeah. just really breaking the moment up. Um, and there's random actors in the background. Well, it's yeah. it's sex scenes are so awkward to film in reality. Oh that, yeah, like all of our eroticism watching it is just not there in the moment. Do you think yeah, this hey. movie ruined actual like porn for like a, a subset of uh, Japanese people that were into uh, art film in in this era? Oh no, they're like, uh, oh, this is awkward. A lot of art films are like exactly like this in terms <laughs> of uh, just like using the sex to sort of draw people in, and then so you can go to a, like a an art film and enjoy basically pornography which otherwise you mostly couldn't do that unless you were going to like specifically softcore porn theaters yeah it's like being a 13 year old at the video store right yeah you sneak into the the fancy movies the european movies maybe i'm gonna go see the dreamers for yeah (laughs) yeah i just love movies about dreamers it's i loved the lovers the dreamers and me I want to be part of it too, uh, but yeah, we're, we're we love to watch in that movie. What no, are we, what are we pretty he- pretty heavily featured. Um, I got the special edition, but anyways, what we love to watch for <laughs> a movie podcast. Uh, we pick a theme and we do uh, a month's worth of movies around that theme. And this month, it's our third week of Pride Month, which is uh, a rare month for us in that we are not picking the movies. We have invited LGBTQIA plus uh, members of the film group that does where we started this podcast, we met a lot of people to uh, to come on and pick a queer film that means a lot to them that they wanted to come and discuss. Uh, and this week, Caitlin, a first-time guest, long-time Dissolve member, has decided to join us. Caitlin, thank you so much for coming on. Our thank Google you for Moran having show. me. This is fun so far. 
Good. Uh, okay. We'll give you I a like safe word nature. in the event it stops becoming fun and the jokes get a little long in the tooth. Uh, can I get a timestamp on when it was still fun? Yeah. <laughs> Four minutes, five seconds, still having it's, fun. It's on, it's on the recording, so you'll know. You'll yeah. know. I'll check in with you. Green light. Green light. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, the problem is we're going to edit out a lot of earlier stuff, so you're going to have to add some time in, Peter, for how long it wasn't actually fun. <laughs> I, I would hate for the, the log to be off, you know? Yeah, no. We have to carefully document fun in this household uh anyways uh yeah no caitlin uh we're so happy to have you on the show why don't you introduce yourself to our audience by telling um our audience three things about yourself uh and then also introduce the movie that you brought on for us to talk about Okay, happy to. So I'm Caitlin Castiello. I am a PhD student at Yale. I study the history of Japanese film. Specifically, I study the history of depictions of of sexuality in Japanese film. So this is an interesting touchstone piece as one of the early images of queer sexuality in Japanese film. Um, And what's, oh, I guess one more thing about me. I, I did once meet Hayao Miyazaki. Which wow! <laughs> it was such a weird circumstance that there isn't really like a story there, but I do sometimes bring that up to people just to show them the uh, the luxury of the PhD life, if you if you will. You sometimes get to meet directors. <laughs> That's um, awesome. So for Funeral Parade of Roses, the reason I still keep going back to it, despite it being in some ways a strange and difficult narrative of queer experience is that it always offers for me something surprising, something exciting, something that somehow resonates with my own experience of being like young and trying to work out a an identity, a an identity outside of gender gender norms and gender gender uh restrictions, heteronormativity, that sort of thing. Um so I myself am bisexual. I'm a queer cisgender woman. Uh, and I came into Japanese film sort of through studying anime and manga and then ended up in this world of live action film, which is, is very masculinist in Japanese film history. And around the time that this film came out, there's actually like a burgeoning softcore porn genre, which is one of the main, main subgenres that I study in Japanese film. Um, it's called pink film. And this film contains quite a few, quite a, quite a few visual references to it. So, uh, I, I keep going back to this film as one way that art cinema uh, was struggling and also co-opting a lot of the the mainstream sex cinema, the the pornographic, the uh, sort of underground yet tawdry films into this sort of world of art cinema and uh, experimental film. Um, I also keep going back to it just because it's a rare example of very explicit queer sexuality. So there there are plenty of examples of earlier films that have suggested relationships or that have uh, maybe lesbian or bisexual relationships t- to some degree of fetishization. But this film ha- really struggles with that sort of that specific gay boy culture of the moment um, very directly. Uh, it contains those documentary segments, yeah. which are amazing and so provocative um it it functions both as a like a a fiction film as a film that's bonkers to watch um and as a a document of what was going on at the time in the gay subculture and that's what i thought was so interesting you know not 
um, not being all that familiar with this movie before before watching, I'd never seen it before. I knew a little bit about it, having and especially had not you know studied like what uh, queer subculture in Japanese in the late sixties, early seventies was. But until after watching this movie and trying to do a little bit of research, because it definitely feels like I could pour over so much context. Like in some ways, as a just a contemporary context of the imagery and the way people were feeling at that time. I don't know if they were they were planned as part of the movie to be educational to the viewer to give context but watching it 50 years later it certainly served that for for me yeah i think that they well in the marketing for the film there's a little bit of like come see the real gay boys come see come learn about these people um in in sort of an exploitive way i i think the director's goal was more along the lines of using that subculture in order to explore how identity in general is formed and that's where he gets that this Oedipi, this Oedipal structure, this this mm-hmm. parody of Oedipus Rex. I think that it's it's meant less to be educational, more to be like, okay, we know that these people are out there in the world. What can we do? What, how can we show them in a way that allows us to destroy all of society and the family unit and gender? Yeah, yeah, it has a there's there's a, a sort of context to a lot of the directors uh, direct questions mm-hmm. uh, that that in a modern parlance feels backwards, but putting it in the context of whatever sixty years ago, what year did this movie come out? 69? 69? Yes, yeah, I think it's okay. 50, 50 years ago. Nice. 50 years ago. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so putting in the context of that, uh, it, it feels remarkable. Like, just a, a shot in the arm. Um, you can't. It doesn't neatly place itself into the modern discussion about gender, which actually makes it more uh, valuable to me. Because yeah. it kind of, it kind of, um, it does what, what art should do, which kind mm-hmm. of uh, shakes you up a little bit. Um, makes you see these things from a different perspective. Uh, I will say, too, and I think this is important, Peter, we, we've done about 160 episodes of this podcast. I don't think we've ever, uh, even on accident, had an kind of a, an expert on the movie we're talking about. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, think- I feel like I, I am not that much of an expert, though, because like you, like you, we were saying, I... The more that I read about this film, the, the less that I feel like I understand it. Like, whatever context I have is is totally, like, it, it, it doesn't undo any of the strangeness of the movie. I mean, uh, look, fair. Yeah. I, I appreciate the uh, modesty. But you also mentioned you teach it to your students. And it feels like, oh, yeah. you, know, you know how some podcasts, like, have experts on sometimes? Not to be mean to any of our guests. But uh, I'm just glad we accidentally did it. <laughs> got an expert to talk about, or a qua- we'll say quasi quasi expert. Will yeah. you take? Will you take that? Okay. I'll take. I'll yeah. take it. I feel like I I accidentally became an expert. So, <laughs> is your class a menagerie of cats? Yes or no? Um, I have taught it to several cats, <laughs> but I have also taught it to actual students. Okay. Okay. My Whew. my favorite thing about this movie is often that. My favorite thing about this movie is the looks of shock and confusion on the students' faces after you screen it, where they're all just like traumatized by that final sequence. And is there a point where they realize into a mode? 
It does not let you go. It does yeah. not let you you settle into. Okay, so you get comfortable with like, okay, it's gonna be this uh, this this drama between because it keeps being described described as a drama, which is like a very it's not uh, it, yeah strange. Like, how big is that tent? Um, but. Uh, it, it, it keep it doesn't let you stay on your toes so it uh sorry it keeps you on your toes excuse me um it, it, it uh it starts off it's like it's gonna be this drama about this this uh this young woman inside of the this this brothel or no not a brothel uh, it's a it's supposed to be a, it's like a, a host bar club. Right? yeah yeah it's like a host bar but there there seems to the hosts seem to sleep with the clientele a lot <laughs> Maybe happens at contemporary host or hostess clubs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and this is in Shinjuku, so that would make sense. Like, it's supposed to be. This isn't supposed to be res- like a quote unquote respectable host bar, like where all the tourists go. This is supposed to be like in more of like the crazy part of town where all the activities happening. Um, oh yeah, and this is one of the few spaces where you could you could go as a gay man to have sex with men. I mean, there's a this is how the gay community formed in Japan, or at least the gay male community it forms in these spaces of clubs, bars, some of which have uh, what in this film are we see as the gay boy, the sort of drag performers, um, who sometimes you can tell from the interviews identify as women, sometimes mm-hmm. identify as men who are just dressing as women. Um, but yeah, this is one of the few spaces where you could go and sort of have a good time as as a gay person in Japan from definitely from the 50s on. Yeah, Shinjuku has sort of a an international even to people that haven't been to Japan, like I've been to Japan and I I I I think Japan is interesting, but I'm not uh, a Japanophile by any stretch. Uh and I've heard of Shinjuku just from movies and and I've gotten a certain impression of it, but also from reading books about Japan, like it, it usually gets a name drop and like what's going on here in this particular time. So yeah, so getting back to that, um then you think it's going to be this crazy uh, pseudo documentary but it's it's sort of that and then you think it's going to be this avant-garde film about a bunch of revolutionary filmmakers and then it's oh, sort yeah. of that it just keeps <laughs> it just keeps it just keeps throwing you off your your weight just gets thrown off every 15 minutes and because of that it just makes it a i can see why your students would feel like not slapped in the face, but certainly like what off what is yeah. what, what is their a- reaction when they realize like the back third is a retelling of Oedipus Rex? Because there's so much like Freudian theory talked about in film classes these days, a yeah. lot of students have some familiarity with Oedipus and a and a lot of the gender the students who are familiar with gender theory tend to be a little bit more resistant to it actually. So hmm. they, they I think they don't like that part for the most part. Um, they have they they recognize it. They're like, oh my god, it's Oedipus. Um, but I think there's a there's a sense that it's a little bit hackneyed. Yeah. <laughs> um, but <laughs> they they taught they taught me Oedipus Rex when I was a sophomore in high school. I was thinking right. about that when I watched it, and I'm like, do they still do that? That's that, that feels like an interesting. Choice. Yeah, I I it depends on the student. Like some of them have no clue about Oedipus Rex because I don't think they still I don't think they teach that in high school these days. Though, uh, who knows? It wasn't that we'll long see. ago. I, I, but it, it, it can't be. <laughs> the year had a two. It was, it was a long time ago for me. <laughs> yeah. It can't be taught like too too early that the teacher isn't willing to wrangle with it because like, yeah, I, we they were talking about it to us in junior high in like a humanities class or something. We did like a classics chapter. Um, a classics quarter, excuse me. And uh, we talked about that, talked about Shakespeare, whatever. 
and we read read it, and I and uh, someone said like, well, what do you think it means? The teacher said, what do you think it means that she uh, the the mother uh, chose to date her son? And I was like, well, <laughs> to date I, her son, yeah, date whatever. <laughs> they had some uh, picnics. They had a couple of walks. Yeah, yeah. Just they, some they split a popcorn. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they weren't ready to define to- it. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's Oedipus. All right, the mother balls her son, um, but doesn't doesn't realize it. You went, you um, went to the other extreme. So Wait, they, he balls her and doesn't realize yeah. it. <laughs> so the point is uh, that I said, um, "Well, I tend to have a, a type. Uh, maybe she just has a type." Like, you know, a father looks like the son. And my teacher got very uncomfortable. <laughs> and I was like, we're talking about incest. Oh, my God. So when I rewatched this for this podcast, I was thinking, you know, Game of Thrones has really lowered my, like, standards for incest. Because a part of me was thinking, well, they couldn't have a kid together, so it's probably fine. Like, I don't see why. <laughs> got so dramatic about it at the end um which is really bad <laughs> but yeah people are traumatized by that the students are like oh my god she, she was having sex with her dad the whole time uh but it's the blinding that that drives that really shocks them oh that, yeah you don't expect this movie to suddenly become as vicious as, as viciously violent as oh man like modern japanese shock cinema for a few moments right right well well then the earlier scene though when we when when uh when she kills her um her mom which also yes. is like a volcano of blood suddenly yeah. yeah that's very night of the living dead actually yeah it, and that seems to come out of nowhere yeah but even that pales in comparison to the eye stabbing which is still one of the most it still made me tra- traumatic images i've ever seen yeah uh, and this time i forced myself to keep my eyes open through it so i could see what what actually happens and it, there's a it's a really cool effect too like what they've clearly like put over the sort of makeup construction of a of a fake eye that spurts blood <laughs> and it looks really cool and that leads into that final section where she wanders out into the street and there's this suggestion that the people are just staring at her they're not really helping her and it it seems like they think that this is just performance art like the earlier performance art that you keep seeing on the street the the funeral the what i assume is the literal funeral parade of roses yeah those guys walking down the street yeah Yeah, the doing something Uh, yeah Yeah, so you're like this well they're protesting something i don't get this one there's a lot of metaphors a lot of symbolism i don't get i'm just walking to work something you see some people are walking by reacting as i do i did in like the summer of 2012 when you'd see a flash mob and you're like oh fucking another one this again yeah (laughs) yeah especially living in a major city where i was living in chicago in the summertime i was like oh fucking great oh i see what you did every tuesday for the past three months i'm really i'm really proud of you guys way to go yeah that's absolutely the japanese the japanese experimental art industry of the 1960s (laughs) happenings everywhere (laughs) um i'm i'm really excited to get into the movie more it is a movie the second i was done watching it one of my notes is actually just like man i just kind of want to watch it again because it's not like uh in the same vein as like a chinatown or like a big lebowski or something like that where like the or a big sleep and i'm kind of comparing it to that just because those plots are so convoluted yeah you're kind of like where's this going where's this going and i find that sometimes those movies you appreciate more on the second viewing like once you have a sense of what the ending is going to be 
you can, even if I like them the first time, I can kind of uh, not be as worried as even like the bare minimum of plot machinations and instead just kind of enjoy the ambiance and the moments a little more because my brain's not trying to rush ahead or anything like that. Yeah. And this is obviously not on that same kind of level. It is a it is a very avant-garde art film. But that same kind of where I felt like I was constantly catching my breath from scene to scene to to kind of follow what was going on mm-hmm. and like trying to in some ways piece it together into the bigger narrative and, and theming that it was clearly trying to do. By the time it was done, it was like, man, I just kind of want to restart it again because I feel like uh, – and I'm glad I bought the Blu-ray even though I didn't yeah. end up watching it on, on Mubai. Oh, it's, or, it's a beautiful Mubi. Blu-ray. Isn't it's movie right? Movie, yeah. movie. Um, yeah. I bought because as I told Peter, I was on a, I was on, I was starting to feel a little sick, and I was on a couch that didn't have a Blu-ray player, and I'm like, I'm just gonna <laughs> sign up for movie, uh, just to watch this, and I'll, I'll get I've, to the Blu-ray again. I've done again. that. <laughs> um, I've definitely but, signed up for things out of pure la- laziness, not yeah. being able to reach my Blu-ray player. <laughs> <laughs> Thank good. Uh, so, so I'm, I'm definitely gonna be able to rewatch this, and also has a bunch of short films too. So I'm, I'm excited to watch. Yes. Uh, I'm excited to watch those as well, but it is one that like, it was like after we did our, our Ravenous episode where it was like after that conversation, I had so much new uh, thoughts about the movie that I wanted to rewatch and re-record another podcast. And I'm suspicious that because I wanted to almost rewatch it immediately after watching it uh, earlier this week, that after we're done recording, I'm going to be like, I got to watch that before bed again because I there's just it feels like there's so much more to absorb. Watch it before bed and dream of eye stabbing. <laughs> Um, there's actually, uh, there's a lot about it that rewards second viewing just because parts of it occur totally out of order. Yeah. And parts of it are, are repeats of things that happened earlier from a different perspective. So you get the repeated scene of Eddie coming in late yeah. to the bar where, and Lita's like, where have you been? Um, and you don't find out until later that that's when she re- ran into the student protester and helped fix his head. Yeah. So you get this sort of rehash of certain certain things that are happening over and over Definitely again. Didn't catch that. Yeah, I th- I think that's what happened. I, think I mean, there is. were so many scenes, like even yeah, that opening scene where they're driving in the car. There's so much of that that comes like has comes back around, but yeah. then that part kind of connects to a, the little mini narrative at the end later on. And at first, you're just like, is she is are, is the, are these dreams of these moments? Are they flashing back? Like it is, it is kind of hard to parse and so mm-hmm. when you're trying to parse it sometimes you're not able to fully absorb like what it's trying to say yeah you you catch the literal but not the yeah. metaphoric or you catch exactly. the metaphoric but not the literal or you catch the literal but not i guess the parodic in a way because a lot of yeah. it is based in this idea of parodying both contemporary culture but also the i think it's engagement with oedipus is parody like it's meant to be the sort of tongue-in-cheek camp over-the-top rendition of Oedipus through this sort of gender switching around. Well, and also there's enough, like, discrete scenes that are also just funny. Yeah. Like, parody. like and, and there's there's a lot I, I don't want to ruin before we actually get into do the plot and do all that stuff, but, like, there's a lot of stuff where I'm like, this is hilarious, but I'm also not sure if it's supposed to be. Like, some editing choices, some, like, uh, slow motion choices where I'm oh, like, I, th- I think it's meant to be funny. Yeah, good. I, th- I, it felt like it, but also it just feels like there's so much going on. I'm like, it's possible I'm missing something, and it also feels very much uh, of a place and a time that 
I get glimpses of, but I definitely don't know, you know, what it could be commenting on within that. Like, you know, both from a, uh, actually more even just from a cinematic point. Of view. Yeah. I think that as a, as a document of what was happening at the time, it works really well. It's, it's yeah. like Shinjuku, youth culture, gay culture. It, it's got, a, it's got a little bit of everything. Well, and this was, well, let's, uh, I say we're already kind of into the movie because there is so much to talk about. So we'll, we'll yeah. actually, we'll do a, I'm so glad it's Peter's week to do the plot recap. Uh, good yes, luck, buddy. Please recap uh, the plot for us, Peter. Uh, uh, but uh, before I do, yeah, it, this this was uh, when we announced our lineup for this month. I, I think uh, this was the one, and because, and I think this is partially just because it was so unavailable for such a long time mm-hmm. uh, outside of the United States for like legitimate purposes. They released this Blu-ray in 2017. It's now on some streaming services occasionally. It's still not the easiest thing to watch, but it essentially was almost impossible through legitimate uh, means to buy in the United States. Yeah. Um, and so this is definitely something that you know I think a lot of people have discovered in the last couple years. And so when we announced our lineup for this, this was the one where most people were like, just to let you know, like, this is the weirdest movie you've ever done on this show. (laughs) You're going to love this movie. (laughs) This is like so. uh, And I will say to all of them that sent messages, you're right. We loved this movie. And this is by far the weirdest movie we've done on this show. And we've done some like go K body snatcher for like we've we've done some That's weird exciting. stuff. That's exciting. I'm yeah. I'm really proud to be here for the weirdest movie I've ever Absolutely. done. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I love so, Go K the Body Snatcher. Oh I yeah, that movie is super so fun. Good. We did we so did a whole month we did, of out uh, there movies. Uh we did Hausu too. None of them are half as weird yeah. as this. Yeah. Uh but yeah. Uh we're very excited to get into it. So without further ado are you guys ready to talk more about uh, Funeral Parade of Roses? Yes. Yes. Do you want to uh, give us some alternate taglines on this old funeral parade of roses? Um, yeah, this is an easy movie to do a alternate. I'm sure there wasn't a tagline. Uh, it feels like there probably wasn't when this movie came out, but I'll do an alternate one. Wait, there uh, was some sort of tagline. There, like they definitely used like the phrase seven real gay boys" in the advertising. Is is that tagline enough? <laughs> uh, that's the well. That's the real. Well, I can't read this poster. It is not a language I understand, so I guess I can't. We'll we'll assume that's the real one. I'll say my fake one is like, uh, Dilfs need movies too. <laughs> <laughs> seven real, uh, seven seven real gay. Uh, hu- wait, what is it? Seven real gay husbands sons for one gay. <laughs> I don't know how to do this. What's seven brides for seven brothers for this? <laughs> We'll be seven dads for seven brothers. Seven dads for seven brothers. Seven we'll be dads one for, dad. Wait. For, for, okay. Sorry, I tried. Um, it, anyways. It's a, a how not to have sex with your father. 
<laughs> instructional video is what this movie is. Whoops! So it's, 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 yeah. uh, always it's, check their drawers for photos of, that you might get. Yes, for please open their diary that says "Dad will come home" on the cover and check for any photos that have your face burned out. <laughs> like Memento, you should always keep a picture of your your, your parents with the <laughs> uh, at the bottom wrote uh, "Don't fuck these people." <laughs> <laughs> um so let me do a plot recap yeah, um this is gonna so be let, fun let, i'll start at the beginning and we'll we'll work around at the beginning uh the a club owner is uh in a hotel room or in his apartment with uh his young lover who works for him at this cl- this club this host bar um eddie and Eddie is a trans woman who he has taken up as his lover over his m- main girlfriend, main person, his main wife uh, to be. Um, essentially, he was he was uh, focused on a, a woman, Leda, Leda, and he has now gone for like the younger, um, more. Uh, you know, money pulling person at the club. Uh, they're trying to keep their relationship under wraps to, as to avoid a, a, a jealous love triangle situation. Uh, can you guys guess where this is going? There's a jealous love triangle situation. And so. Drug freakout scenes? Yeah, yeah. So. Script this- balance beam? so as this is going on we see a bit more into eddie's life the movie immediately shifts focus away from the club owner onto eddie and we get to see eddie go through her uh her you know her daily makeup routine her daily sort of like cleansing ritual and get her makeup all ready for work and it's revealed in the shower that eddie has no breasts and that's sort of seen as like a a a shocking reveal to the audience that this is a trans woman and and not a cisgender woman um so so actually uh, i I hate to do this but can i pause and part of this is just i want to make sure that i because I think some of the – you mentioned, Caitlin, like there's interviews where like the actors are talking about how they identify. I guess I was a little confused whether uh, – not not Peter who's playing Eddie, but whether right. Eddie is supposed to identify as a woman or whether uh, Eddie identifies as just someone who enjoys dressing as a as a woman. I'm not, I will say I'm not just really sure. quickly, yeah. I am I – am, in my recaps, if I make a mistake today, it is firmly going to be using a modern understanding of trans politics and right. casting it on people from 50 years ago. Yes. Well, and that and that's that's the problem. There isn't really a way to get around that where like yeah. some of the women clearly say that they are living as women. Others are it's a little bit more unclear. Like they like being gay boys specifically, and the term mm. in Japanese is just the translator transliterated English of gay boy, which <laughs> yeah. always always referred generally at that time referred to one of these performers who would dress in drag. Um, so it's sort of this question of are they drag queens? Are they uh, trans women? Do they have like access to the sort of idea that they might be transitioning? Clearly, some of them do. They, yeah. they they are aware of uh, uh, gender reassignment surgery at the time, um, but there's they don't all have that sort of mode where they really want to transform their bodies 
um, beyond what they do in the drag performance. Well, yeah, there's adding uh, to it too is that you you have the actual people, some case actors, sometimes right. I believe just interviews talking about how they uh, view themselves and their gender identity. Yeah, um, and then you also have you know Eddie the, as a character who, while Peter gets a chance to talk about it. Eddie doesn't. And so you're kind of left to, I think, determine what your interpretation is. There's not right. – like there wasn't a clearly defined point. And then also to Peter's point, not only was it not clearly defined in the movie, we're also looking back 50 years and applying our own idea of what and that is. We too. have a totally different understanding of this. Yeah. 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 So I, th- I think it's an almost insurmountable issue. Like I, when I talk about them, I usually use the term gay boy – uh, making clear to whoever I'm talking to that I'm using that as in the sense that they're using it, not the way we would say, hey, it's a gay boy. Uh, yeah. But like, try it. Or try hopefully to th- wouldn't say that. <laughs> yeah, or we wouldn't say that, right. Um, try, trying to like use the terminology that they use at the time, which is, is a, maybe it's a cop out, but it's also sort of the the way that you can get around these these issues of applying like a modern term to a historical moment or a historical identity. So how do you, when you teach this, for example, like when you refer to Eddie, what pronouns do you usually use? Oh, I usually say she, but I would, I would say he for Peter, uh, who Peter, the actor ends up being a pretty big star. Yeah. Uh, I looked him up. He's a gay man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And, but when I use she for for Eddie or for Lita or for some of the other women who appear, um, I tend to use it in the sense of if you watch like RuPaul's Drag Race, right? I, I yeah. do obsessively. Even though most of the drag queens on the show are uh, cisgender men performing as women, some of them mm-hmm. are tra- do end up being trans women, um, but most of them are cisgender men and they would use he, him pronouns in their daily life. Uh, when they're appearing as drag queens, people can like switch between those pronouns. So uh, you can use she for a queen in a way that you wouldn't use it if you were just talking to them uh, at, as you met them as a cisgender gay man, you know? Um, okay. So you, you can sort of use the pronouns in different ways. And I was actually like, uh, there's been some discussion recently about lesbians who use the term, the, the pronouns he and him. Mm-hmm. Um where like just because I mean they're lesbians they they might be women identified they might be more they might be uh, butch um, but they use the pronouns he and him partly just because of a way of like fucking with gender basically um, fucking with the idea that you need to need to, need to define right, it originally yeah that that pronouns have a gender which is kind of yep. absurd if you think about it yes um, yeah that's that's super it's. <laughs> It's a complex thing, but it's worth wrangling with because it affects how people feel day to day and how people fit themselves into society, right? Like, this isn't just a matter of, like, semantics, right? This is, like, a deeply important thing because we've been telling people that it's deeply important since the dawn of language. Um, Right. So, and not necessarily that these these gender confines have existed since the dawn of language. That's that's a completely different thing. But just, like, we've, we've decided... That these gender pronouns uh, have a, have a value, so um, now we have to wrangle with that when they don't work, right? And they're and they're forced upon people. So like, yeah. you you have a pronoun that's comes with your assigned gender, so it, that that is forced upon you by society. People will always read you as a she/her if if that's what you appear to be. 
Um, and so a lot of times people are trying to break out of the idea that they must accept whatever pronoun they appear to be, they, that they must accept this sort of uh, hierarchical, societally induced uh, meaning represented by these very tiny, very everyday words. Yeah. And I mean, that comes like, there's so much of that of just redefining how you refer to any, how, how gendered our language is in general. Like, you know, someone uh, recently just used the example, and I'm sure this isn't a new thought that, that, you know, if you go up to two people who identify as women and say, hey guys, they're just, they may just go, oh, hey, how's it going? But if I went up to two uh, people who identify as men and said, "Hey, ladies," yeah, uh, that w- that would be deemed not as a greeting, but an but an insult, or like I'm trying to make a dumb joke about right. like their masculinity. How how even just looking at such a simple example like that really shows how deeply embedded the way that we've uh, that our gender terminology like affects the way we view everything, affects the way language affects like. The, the definitions of femininity and masculinity and like all these sort of things. So it, it's it's a worthwhile discussion and and not one we've really had yet even during this month. Yeah, well, that's what this movie – I think that's what this movie does is that it calls yeah. into a question a lot of our received notions of what gender is, how people identify, even if you are really very much caught up with contemporary notions of transgender experience – like, this movie is a challenge to those in a lot of ways as well. It makes you think, oh, at this historical moment, maybe these feelings meant something different. Maybe these people fit themselves into the world in a different way. And yeah. I have to say, the violence at the end and the way that um, Eddie is such a central participant in the violence as it goes on, we'll get there, but it can't help but feel... Um, just on an initial, just like when it, you know, the first wave of, of what your emotions are, it can't help but feel a little uh, regressive in the sense that like, oh, yeah. I'm just so used to like, the violent queer, the violent right. villain that that's queer, like that's, I'm so used to that. And I think that there's a, that a lot about this film does, is very regressive, and that it relies on these ideas about like, oh, you, uh, you're gay because you wanted to murder your mother or you were too close to your mother or something like that. Like these very like regressive sort of hackneyed ideas about where sexuality comes from, um, which maybe at the time were current and part of what they're part of what the idea of trying to explore gay boy identity was, um, was looking at these different theories of, of where that of where the supposed deviance comes from. Yeah, and, and that's what I love about the film in particular, and I will get back to my recap at some oh, point. Oh, yeah, we, uh, we have to yeah, figure out the this, plot I mean, is. This, it felt like a good conversation to almost have first, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I think, yes. we, I think so, we do need to lay out, we do, we did need to talk about the issue of pronouns. and Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Because, because I don't want people to hear how I related to the plot from the scope of a a modern gender perspective, and even I'll make mistakes, right? But a modern gender perspective, uh, casting it on people from 50 years ago, but, um, and and finding that offensive because that isn't necessarily the way that uh, Eddie or Leda would view themselves. Or sorry, Peter and um, the performer that is for Leda. Usagi-san? I think she goes by like Bunny or something. Yeah. So okay. So the 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 fact that's why I love this movie is because it 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 it's formalizing itself as a rebellion, but it is it is specifically saying that 
it doesn't have all the answers. It's not offering that many answers. It is saying like, yes, uh, these structures are fucked up. These structures are fucked up. We need to explore them. But it's also sort of making fun of itself and uh, other new wave uh, filmmakers uh, for Matsumoto and other new wave filmmakers for uh, attempting to be too um, prescriptive mm-hmm. about the wrongs of society, which, you, you know, like, it, it can go the other way. And, like, there's some Godard movies that are just like, oh, so you just, like, you like, just got a kick out of breaking rules, but you decided to not make a movie around it. We <laughs> all know you yeah. don't like Godard. <laughs> Instead, yeah. I, I, like, I like some Godard movies, but. You like the, one. Wait, which <laughs> I, uh, one? Perot Le Fou. Oh, uh, yeah, I like I that I mean, one. that is the best one. But. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, it's sort of uh, – this movie sort of relishes breaking the rules in that way. But it also does have its heart in place. But it, 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 it's not simply breaking the rules for um, the hell of it. It's breaking the rules because it's saying like this – these are general – these are these are genuine social problems that we have to address and – you know, you might not necessarily want to look at the issue of how we tr- we fit uh, LGBT people or we fit the gay boys into our community, but like this is something we have to face. Uh, or you you outwardly would say you don't want to look at this, but you secretly uh, want to look at it really right. closely. And I'm giving you this opportunity to explore those issues. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, like, you say, like, so, like, my initial reaction to the movie was, I was like, from a modern perspective, this is kind of regressive, because when Eddie gets into the shower, so you're supposed to sort of find Eddie very attractive, and Eddie mm-hmm. is gor- Eddie's gorgeous. Like, yeah. there's no, I don't know if there's, like, a... Very good looking, yeah. There, I don't know if Peter there's, like, a polite is extremely to, charismatic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if there's a polite way uh, to couch that, but I'm just gonna say, like, Eddie is extremely attractive. And the movie wants you to find Eddie attractive as a cisgender woman and then have the shock that Eddie um, is trans uh, during the shower scene. It literally pauses on Eddie's bare chest. Yeah, it's an extremely it's a it's a very typical exploitive shot of the reveal of no breasts. Yeah, it's very similar to the crying game 30, 20 years later. Yeah. And there it's played for horror. Here it's played more like. Like, oh, you were kind of attracted to a trans woman. Now let's explore those feelings. Yeah, and it continues to explore those feelings. Like, it, it never backs off from the fact that she's very attractive. Yeah, which is which is a crucial thing to say, but also, like, I want to... I, I, I mean, I don't... I, it's hard for me to couch, like... One of my notes is, Eddie is attractive, but it's hard for me to couch that. <laughs> um, like, I, want, like, uh, I challenge you to couch it. <laughs> um but yeah the 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 issue of passing uh whether or not you pass as if you're a trans member of the trans community you pass as uh, a male or a female uh, if that's what you're choosing to do or that's what you're called to do um is incredibly complex and incredibly touchy and like it's not an issue that i think I usually try and wade into because I feel like that's that's not really my place. Um, it's interesting because the the movie doesn't worry about that that much. No. It doesn't. It's and just it in this first little bit. Yeah, there's there's the reveal, and then after that, it's like everybody treats her as a woman or treats her as a, uh, a as an object of desire, not 
caught up in this oh is is my desire violating norms am, am yeah, i yeah. am i going am i am i going after a man who is posing as a woman there's n- there's none of that there are a couple of moments where i think it almost it, i i would expect it to go in that direction like the moment where she's being street harassed yeah you'd almost expect yes. that to lead in a direction of oh the guys find out she's she's a dude underneath whatever um and they're turned off but no they just pursue her she escapes into the art gallery there's also the friend telling the story about how she goes back to some guy's hotel room and the guy just wants her to step on him you know and she's like oh he's he's a masochist that's that's the story and then she adds i don't think he realized the whole time that i'm 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 not a real woman uh, so, so you have a couple of moments where they sort of play with that, but it doesn't become like a threat. They don't. They don't experience transphobia. No. They don't. They don't experience like uh, or, or any any or... any sort of any sort of threat within that space of Shinjuku. Yeah, as opposed yeah. to like the space of where she grew up, the the home. Yeah, because you have that scene in the mirror, especially, which is like really telling. Because that that of oh, like yeah. that long that long scene where she's looking in the mirror and like. Clearly, um, you know, it's funny because I, I wasn't quite sure the now, – now thinking about that scene again, I wrote that down because it's a very powerful moment about like not identifying her place in uh, this family unit because it really shows kind of their yeah. idyllic house behind. But obviously now uh, having some of this conversation too, there's a lot more of like, oh, I don't recognize myself. Like this is not who I am. And that whole moment of like looking at herself and then the reflection of this 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 quaint 60s style like, you know, what I imagine is like a two-bedroom apartment for families in the background. Mm-hmm. Like her mom comes in and beats the shit out of her. Yeah. It's such a long take and it's so powerful in that moment and the the captor out of like, oh, I really don't belong here. Like, because even just taking a moment to like provide some affection to myself when she kisses herself in the mirror Mm -hmm. is treated as some sort of like verboten act that needs to be like punished with violence. Yeah. And if you contrast that to the space of Shinjuku where they can play in the mirror as much as they like. Where that whole like drama with Lita, the whole sort of who is going to run the bar, is almost like a fun game that they can engage in, even though the stakes are very high towards the end. Um, but it's nothing compared to that violence of the mother who's trying yeah. to trying to instill gender norms in her supposed son. Um, once once they leave, once they go to the city and they're surrounded by their people, they can do whatever they want. Yeah, the only violence they face is a tickle fight. Yes, and those those toy guns. Oh, and of course, when they have the fight with the the uh, Japanese uh, girl gang, <gasps> the girl gang. Oh, that, yeah, that might be my, one of my favorite scenes. Yeah. So we'll, okay. So let me. Yeah. Do why don't you go back to the yeah, quick? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So the real cap. So uh, the movie is, of course, intercut by documentary footage of uh, performers talking about uh, their experiences, and they're all sort of at different. Uh, different positions within the LGBT community. There's gay men that identify as men and like to have sex with men. Um, There's gay men that 
identify in, as a man but dress as a woman and have sex with men. There's trans women who have sex with men and might identify as women, which is what I I believe uh, Peter Dash Eddie says. I think I think Bunny definitely says that. Okay. I, 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 I'm not I sure. Know. So Peter only talks about his relationship with Eddie. Uh, yeah. yes, you're like, right, you're right, you're right. Peter right. says that they're very similar except for the whole incest, incest thing. thing. Yes. Yeah. So Peter, is a Peter spoils joke. the movie, yeah. Yeah, it's very it's very funny. Um, okay, so uh, it's a part of the rebellion in the movie. It's just like, hey, here's how the movie ends. You haven't caught it? She was leaning By against Oedipus Oedi- 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 posters. Uh, the Her Pesolini name movie. is literally Eddie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I just got that. And yeah. she was leaning against, she was leaning against uh, Pesolini, posters for Pesolini's Oedipus. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, so uh, Eddie is getting into a conflict with Letta. They get into a uh, a vicious fight where they're cussing each other out. Uh, Letta gets kind of beat up, and in this moment, uh, Letta's relationship with the club owner starts to deteriorate, and she starts to get more jealous, more possessive of him, uh, and eventually she commits suicide. And he, uh, he, you know, mourns for her and then immediately dives back into bed with Eddie. Eddie is starting to hang out with this revolutionary club of filmmakers and they're kind of full of shit, but they are also (laughs) crossing, like, they're also crossing a lot of, like, transgressive bounds. Um, We'll get to that in a minute because I really need to make fun of this movie for having, like, a 10 minute sequence of them smoking pot. So and then like, talking about yeah. smoking pot. That's documentary yeah. footage of them smoking when pot. When she said dope, I was like, oh, are they are they like into hard drugs? And I was no, like, it's just marijuana. It's just weed. And I was like, they sell that at like my bodega. <laughs> Not in Japan. It's still super illegal. <laughs> yes. The Japanese, the, just in J- Japan in general, their view towards drugs is, is very different than the American view towards drugs. But anyway, so. They, uh, they're they doing drugs, they're partying, whatever, but Eddie is also sort of suffering from the pain of something she did in her past that we don't quite understand. Uh, eventually, we find out that Eddie murdered her mother after she, uh, brought home one too many suitors. Something, something happened with, with, within Eddie's brain that just, like, made her like, I gotta fucking, I gotta fil- fucking kill this guy, I gotta kill my mother, and Eddie, uh, Eddie does so. And presumably was put into some sort of home or ran away. And I think he just ran away. I think yeah. he just ran away. I um, think she escaped. Yeah. Yeah. So then we Eddie is in um, Eddie has Eddie is in uh, her apartment and has just had sex with a club owner. And the club owner notices a picture of the family, but his face has been burned out because uh, either Eddie or Eddie's mother. I forget who. I think the mother. The mother burned out his face when he left the family all those years ago, and uh, he recognizes the rest of the photo and realizes, oh, shit, I have been having sex with my 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 daughter, well, my son, to his, to his perspective, um, but my daughter, my child. And he goes in the bathroom, kills himself. Uh, Eddie finds uh, the body, also kills himself, kills herself. And then, well, sorry, blinds kind of blinds herself. Yeah, blinds yeah. herself. We, we don't know and, if she's fine long term. Yeah, I, I she don't, could I, be. I fine. mean, she's not going to be fine. <laughs> Define <laughs> fine. The, the, yeah, the word fine's doing a lot of work there. Shall we? Fine. Back, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, what are we like? <laughs> like a starfish? You just rip off any part and it'll grow back? <laughs> She'll be fine comparatively to her father. Yeah, She'll got it. be well, fine who, who because this be film is about artifice, so it didn't really happen. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you get to kind of view things from this abstract perspective, but uh, Eddie wanders out in the street completely blind and onlookers watch her as if she is in a a street performance art piece. Yeah. And, and weirdly yelling Attica. I thought that was a odd choice. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Sorry. There's nothing worse than when you say the dumbest joke in the world and then someone doesn't hear it. Because <laughs> I, said, I said it. Yeah. And also uh, yelling Attica, which was a weird <laughs> Yeah, that is a terrible joke. All right. Yeah, thank you. Um, uh, but yeah, so that's bows. that's Funeral Parade of Roses. And uh, what do you guys think of the themes of this movie? What is what's this movie about? So let's, we definitely you know, haven't let's, already started on it. Let's let's get an easy one out of the way because I I did make a joke about it, and we're gonna there's a lot to talk about here. But I just want to recognize that they're playing a game during the party sequence that I've never seen before, and it took me a little bit to realize what the game was. But I am 99% sure that the game they are playing is Strip Balance Beam. Yes, it is definitely Strip Balance Beam. There isn't an actual beam, though. It's just a line on the floor. It's just a line on the floor, but... And also, you're allowed to, like, kind of knock each other off. Like, people are, like, slapping at each other's ankles a little bit. Who wouldn't want to purposely lose? I mean, no one wants to win Strip Balance Beam where you keep your clothes on in this... In this situation, everyone seems no. to be having a good time. You don't you don't want to keep your clothes on in drug-fueled strip balance beam. Yeah. Especially like especially like if you knew that this game was coming up and you really didn't want to strip, you would just smoke less weed. And what kind of fucking party is that? Well, you just wouldn't stand up and walk on the line. <laughs> yeah, you just yeah. be like, ah, I guess I guess I'm just gonna sit here and uh, make people uncomfortable by by s- sort of half stripping them out. Um, well, and it moves very smoothly from strip balance beam to dance sequence to orgy. So yeah. I, I think that they're they want to strip. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a transitory. You know, it's it's probably so hard to get orgy started. I would imagine it's good <laughs> to have like you know some you, some you transition never know. stuff. I, don't, I just don't know. I just don't know if these guys have like, you know, they don't probably have the money for good hors d'oeuvres. Um, they they probably don't have, you know, the money for like a nice jazz band. Like, you know how Look, the rest of us transition into orgies. Is, is, that, that, same? How, is that how you transition to orgies? Hors d'oeuvres uh, and a jazz band? Yeah. And a, and a, well, blindfolded, I'm take, I'm taking a blindfolded notes. pianist. I'm taking notes. <laughs> You know, as as much as the cultures and the time is different, like it's at the end of the day, it's no different than that one guy you knew in like college or high school that was very serious about getting a game of strip poker starting, but yeah. no one really wanted to do that. And uh, you know, this was this was that guy's dream that eventually it would break out to a dance party and an orgy, uh, as opposed to just. Someone who is extremely persistent and annoying that you eventually cut ties with. Yeah, I I love that. There's a moment. There's a there's a moment where there's sort of at first it, it feels a little aggressive, and then uh, Eddie eventually falls, and then they're kind of tugging at Eddie's top, and then Eddie's just she's just like, uh, no, all right, let's just start with my tights first. Like, yeah, <laughs> and then they're all like, oh, that's fine, that's fine, yeah, that's true. Like that that's what makes it feel less creepy and aggressive to me is just like they were like, oh, well, yeah, we're just kind of like like uh, bullying you into playing the rules of the game. But if you wanted to get up and leave, you can get up and leave. Like it doesn't yeah. have a 
I think yeah. that like sort of playful, like, oh, you know, will she take it off? Will she not take it off? Is is part of the fun of the game too? Because the other girls are res- are like giving superficial resistance as well. Yeah, um, at first I wasn't. I was actually like, oh, is this is this, this like weird? the start of some serious weird? assault? Yeah, like is this going to turn to something that's going to like be a very um, you know dark moment? In which I was glad that wasn't the case because uh, you know I I really like just the. There's a lot of scenes of just people living their lives yeah, uh, and having fun with friends and, you know, sometimes, you know, getting into little squabbles here and there. But for the most part, like, there's a good chunk of this movie that is just like a snapshot in people living their life and having fun and having right. good times. And, like, that was an extremely enjoyable part of this movie for me. Like, it did feel like a time capsule, but also just, you know, I – Peter and I have talked about this in the podcast many times before. Like, one thing I like seeing on film is, like, just people being joyful in, like, these moments. And, um, you know, this felt like it definitely blurred the line between documentary and, like, an actual film was shot. And, like, you know, people having a good time and enjoying themselves is is something that is, A, rarely de- depicted, I think, for this length of time on mm-hmm. – like, they, they devote a good chunk it's, it's most of the film is is yeah. stuff that's isn't really like plot relevant, and I think yeah. that's why it's so hard to do a plot summary of it. Very, I was glad Sorry, it was Peter's yeah. week. No, <laughs> Sorry, Peter. no. <laughs> and I think yeah, I, this this scene also for me brings us brings it to mind one of the themes that really really sticks out beyond just this question of gender performance, which is like youth. Like this is a like a, a youth culture movie yeah. in a lot of ways, and it's about the struggle against you know the older generation. Like Eddie wants to unseat Lita because she's old. She's she's old fashioned. She's got sort of this these like very like staid kimonos. They're like you know she's a, she's a classic madam, a, a mama, a, the like the bar mama, um, yeah. as opposed to Eddie, who's this like cool cool. Uh, go-go girl 60s dancing with all of her friends and there's something about that that is also a difference in attitudes towards gender and sex where when eddie's at work at the bar she's entertaining these older possibly gay possibly straight uh men who like to like to fool around with these gay boys um where there's still like a very strict like gender hierarchy but when you get to that scene where she's just hanging out with her friends who are these like pretentious like college student art guys and girls, um, there, there's none of that. Like they fool yeah. around with each other. They're all sort of playing the game. They're all stripping. There isn't really any sort of like ideas about, oh, I'm playing a male role. I'm playing a female role. They're all just sort of fooling around and they want to do drugs and make make stupid movies. And God... God love them. They just want to do drugs and make movies. And like, yeah. what, what better way to live your life, right? Right? Isn't that- e- even if the movies are so dumb. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, and, the movie and- is terrible, by the way. Oh, yeah. And that one line where the guy uh, calls Jonas Mekas Monas Jekas or something. Like, he switches the, <laughs> switches the name around. <laughs> well, and you mentioned it feeling like a youth movie. Like, the movie that this actually reminded me the most of, not thematically in any way but filmatically is uh the monkey's head like i don't know if you have you, what? you no i haven't head? seen that it is very much like it's again nothing thematically similar whatsoever but it is this idea of like just you're watching a lot of like young people have fun both 
within the scenes themselves, but also with the concept of like a movie and blowing up the concept of a movie as a whole. And this is uh, wait, love- this is the monkeys like the band. Yeah, the mon- it's it's okay. uh, yeah. I would highly recommend watching the monkey's head if you have not. It's very, it's actually very hard to watch. Like the, it, it is on Criterion, but it was only released in that like box set that had like five easy pieces and, uh, yeah. and a couple other stuff like that. So it, but it's, it's super good. And it, it is like, it is a very bizarre movie that I was not expecting, but it, it really feels like both a kind of like, not a fuck you, but a, what, like a, almost like a pleasant like yeah I'm not gonna make movies like you old man and then also yeah. just all these like these these kind of like fun scenes of people just just having a good time that don't need to lead into a next scene and also a lot of uh, of parody type elements as well a lot of those goofy like American rock musical whatever you call them like the Beatles or I guess the Beatles aren't American but a lot of those those like Western musical pop group movies made it into Japan and they were pretty popular. So that might that might be a real influence. It came out the year before this, so I guess I don't know, but I, who knows? I guess it's possible. Yeah. yeah. There there's definitely like a lot of callbacks to them in movies in the late sixties in Japan. Um and like Oshima Nagisa makes a movie that's sort of sort of parroting like Beatles movies called uh Three Resurrected Drunkards. Where it's like these three goofy guys going around doing stuff. And then it turns out to be about Korea and the war and all those other <laughs> things. Um, but at the beginning, it's mo- it's sort of like goofy musical. Yeah, that's how they get you. That's yeah. how they get you. Trap. <laughs> trap. <laughs> um, a little bait and switch. Uh, yeah, so sorry. I, I, I wanted to get out this the strip. Uh, just because I got to tell you, when I was watching, I'm like, what is, are they playing? Is it? Oh, yeah. No, it's no, great. It's strip, it gives me a chance it's strip to make balance being, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it gives we, me a chance a- to make fun of Guevara and his dumb fake beard. Oh my god, the dumb fake beard! I love it because of the course movie, it's and fake. the movie takes like an actual like it makes a Vine video in the mid- middle of yes. the movie to make fun of him, <laughs> does. where he just keeps sneezing off his beard. Yes, and it's funny because like you see Eddie putting on you know wigs and makeup and all that, and then Guevara has his fake beard. So like both both of their gender performances are fake. Yeah. yeah. I also like uh, the funniest part of this movie to me. There's like the scene where they have to pack up because the cops are coming, and they kind of do like a fast motion with like almost a. I don't know if it's before or after Benny Hill, but it feels yeah. like it's it's a it's song the- they use throughout the the movie. But like they do this scene of them like quick, the cops are coming, and it, it changes into a faster frame rate, or I guess a slower frame rate, but played faster. Um, and then it has the 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 Benny Hill type song, but then they like still move incredibly slow and like <laughs> find their jacket and lift up a pot plant and like I was dying. It was it was a great example of like this movie just literally um, cutting loose and just showing something that's funny, no matter how like tangentially connected it is to the rest. Yeah, the movie does not. The movie you think the movie is gonna. Them getting away with hiding the weed would imply that later they're going to not get away with hiding the weed, right? Instead, yeah. the movie's just like, eh, the weed's really not that important except for this. <laughs> it's a non-issue, yeah. Yeah, except for the scene where, except for the fact that Eddie has access to weed to bring to the um, socialist collective of filmmakers. <laughs> um, the students, yeah. Yeah, the students. There so was a... I, when the movie came out, well, I don't know if he actually was criticized for this, but he he 
Matsumoto seems self-conscious in some of his writings about the fact that this movie isn't really political in the same way that the other uh, ATG Art Theater Guild films were. Um, and I think, I think so part of like including the student groups are, is almost like a nod to like the contemporary politics of the time and like having that student come in at the end, the, the one who's been protesting and who does that really like self-conscious face directly the camera and state your position moment, which is totally weird. And Eddie just totally doesn't care. Um, I, I think he's very, very clear about sort of making fun of this idea that you can have these like really serious art films students making fun of or students really like engaging with politics through these pretentious art films yeah i think the movie the movie has a genuine sense of of fun about its even its most deeply held political beliefs right like it it, this is not a soapbox movie um it's also not a totally nihilistic or even Dadaist sense of just like, let's throw all the pieces up and see where they land kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, That's why I, that's, that's why I love it is it doesn't fit neatly into angry, angry political diatribe or uh, nonsense movie that exists purely to see how far you can stretch narrative. Yeah. It's very much the personal is political. It, It sort of reveals its political, underpinnings through showing this everyday life of eddie who going back to this idea that eddie it's not really clear to us if eddie is trans or gay or whatever eddie is thinking at any given point eddie eddie doesn't seem to care about any of that yeah eddie Eddie is is not concerned with identity yeah yeah Eddie's hot, Eddie's fashionable, (laughs) Eddie is somewhat happy, though haunted. Like, Eddie has this complicated person. She doesn't need to be... She doesn't need need to be a a political statement. Right. She's a a human being, which is, like, And she doesn't have, like... She doesn't have any of the self-consciousness about, like, how do I identify? How do I fit into the world that was really common amongst Japanese student organizers at the time? So, like, she is just hanging out with Guevara's gang for fun really she's not she doesn't seem to be like what does it mean to be a a, a teen in 1968 or what does it mean to be a student what does it mean to be Japanese which was all the the hot topic at the time she seems to be totally like beyond that yeah she she has been pushed to the margins the way a lot of them have though she and her little group uh, seem to be just as comfortable out there as any other group of, of women or any other group of friends or whatever. Um, and I'm specifically talking about the two other workers at the club. Yeah. Um, and this comes back to Aaron's thing with the, uh, the hiding the drug scene. There's a fight sequence where uh, Eddie's little little group of three and uh, a, a girl gang passes, uh, a, a gr- another group of three passes them, and it is straight up lifted in Clockwork Orange. So, yeah. yeah, Clockwork Orange took more, I think, stylistic notes than necessarily political notes from this movie. Right. 
it, it, Kubrick saw it and he was like, damn, that's a fucking daring approach. Like you're basically making a, like almost a live action cartoon out of something that's very serious. Um, yeah. It's the and, sped and, up sequences to like classic. Yeah. yeah they undercrank the camera to make people's movements um, more cartoonishly broad. It gives them a sort of silent movie appeal, which, you know, in a time... 30, 40 years after, whatever, 40 years after uh, silent film had, had uh, gone out of vogue. they uh, It has a, a, a comical, silly kind of approach and mm-hmm. to match very serious moments up with sort of, uh, uh, what is it, like almost circus music. Like in, yeah, in, in it's Clock circus of Orange, music. it's William, Te- William Tell, obviously, by Wendy Carlos. Uh, Wendy Carlos's take on William Tell, I should say. But it's yeah, it's it's circus music and it's slowed. It's it, that also is like cranked down or yeah. um, distorted in certain sequences. It shows up also in I think the sex scene with the American yeah. soldier. Well, and it's yes. always the, it's always the same song, which is like a song that I know, but I remember thinking, oh, I got to remember what that song is, and then I didn't. Yeah, and yeah, I, I think I it's like think it's of like it one of the circus they, music. Yeah, it, I think it's like one it's of those like, songs that they like they hand you an instrument when you're in fourth grade, and they're like, this is the practice song for this week. Yeah, right? the song is not Pop Goes the Weasel, but it's like that level of musicmanship. Yeah. yeah. It's it's just very basic, very repetitive, but you can you can train it to anybody. Any organ grinder can grind it out, right? Yeah. And as soon as you hear it, you know that you're well. A lot of those scenes seem like they could be heading in a serious direction, but as soon as that music comes in, you know you're headed somewhere goofy. Yeah, and, and that sex fake. scene is so intimate with the with the American GI. Yeah. It's, that's the one, that's really the one that cuts too. out to the full camera crew talking yes. about what scene to go and how much time they have left, right? So yeah. they, have a, they have a scene um, with a, a, an American GI who briefly talks about later that, like, he's dodging Vietnam. Um, not dodging in the in the literal sense, but, like, he's like, oh, well, I'm stationed here, so I'm not going to Vietnam. <laughs> he he and everyone's probably like, yeah, good for you. will be sent to Vietnam, I think, is the implication. Yes. Well, and they're like, protesting that that there's American bases still. Right. Yes, because uh, particularly Okinawa was like a big stationing point for Vietnam. Like we we stationed people in the Philippines and in Japan largely for Vietnam. So like that's that the uh, Japanese relationship with uh, American troops is a is a very long one. <laughs> well, and that was um, the that was the big student protest subject at the time was vietnam was uh before that it was korea and then the relationship with america in general like the big student protest flashpoint issue was the u.s japan security treaty so both its signing and then its renewal um was what led to these big protests in 1968 and previously in uh the early 60s and the and the 50s and to a 60s audience of students uh, who would be glad to have been rid of the empty suit of the emperor, uh, the idea that America was in charge of their uh, security and that they, could, they couldn't have their own standing army, not necessarily that they would want one, but they needed the U.S. who had to have a, a, a foothold in Japan at all times um, was particularly offensive because they were a generation removed from uh, yeah. the atrocities of World War II. Yeah. And there's a sense that they, I mean, with AMPO, which is the security treaty being signed, 
there that there'd already been a failure in student organizing. So even even though the 1960s are this big moment of organizing, they're they're sort of in the wake of this previous failure. They're always they're always sort of dealing with the fact that they the earlier generation of activists failed and that they now have the weight of this failure on them. And so when they fail again, it's sort of is considered in many ways like the end of organizing of of leftist organizing in Japan. But we could get into that at length. I don't know if I don't know if that tangent really needs to be included. But uh, there's this a whole is a, specifically a, a protest movie about students. Like it fits yeah. in wherever you want, Caitlin. Yeah, and there well, there's a lot. This movie doesn't go into it as much as a lot of the other movies at the time. So if you if you pull out like any other random ATG movie, which is this the production company, it'll be like about students protesting, or it'll have like footage of the students in the background while they have like this other plot going on um but it, this movie sort of avoids all of it and i i think matsumoto was pretty self-conscious about that like he was very much like okay i know i'm not engaging with the real politics of the time but i want you to know that these this idea about gender and identity this is politics too so like that's that's a part of what he wrote in the ATG Journal's issue for uh, Funeral Parade of Roses, which they release leading up to the film's release, um, was this idea that this film was political for the way it deals with gender, for the way it deals with identity, and the way it, it fights against the family structure, even if it's not engaging with the student movement and leftism in the same way that, you know, Oshima films are. And and think about the fact that, like, what what better rebellion to make then within the context of a protest film, you're protesting against other protest films. <laughs> yeah, of <laughs> like, course. I mean, it's, I know it's like 4D chess at that point. I, I don't know what that would be. You have to smell where the queen is. Um, but uh, Oh, I'm sure it, that it, you could smell some queens here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Caitlin, thank you for making the classy, the classy version of, of whatever joke that's going to happen there. <laughs> um. No, but it does, you know, that uh I forget what I wish I could pull it out of my head right now, but there was uh there was some other movie we were talking about where um the just recently on this podcast where the director was like, No, it is a very political film and we were laughing at how people missed it at the time because people assumed it was like his least political film and Damn it, Peter, I don't know if you remember if any of this sounded familiar, what we just talked about somewhere on a previous episode. But I guess my point is that, like, yeah, like, it is a political film when you're talking about, like, specific policies of a generation or politics and stuff like that. But movies that, like, address uh, gender and, and stuff like that are actually condemning, like, the – or not condemning necessarily, but in a lot of ways condemning the society that, like – made those policies and stuff like that. In some ways, it's so much bigger than, like, the society yeah. that, that that defined things so rigidly is also the one that is now in charge and passing these kind of laws that we disagree with. So, right. in some ways, it's the most political because it's condemning the, like, heteronormative structures across societies as opposed to, like, a specific policy point. Yeah. And that's really true. And and can we talk about really quickly the actual title of the movie? Yes. While we're talking about this stuff, so the 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 the, ch the choice of the term rose is incredibly important because uh, Caitlin could probably speak to the Japanese half of this, but in an in international sense, in a global sense, the uh, rose is a very a red rose is very often associated with socialism. 
um, oh. particularly it was sprouted from uh, postmarks in Germany. Um, and it, it was sort of a, a means of covertly talking about socialism or overtly symboling uh, socialism. And uh, that that, you know, that in its own sense uh, ties in with that the whole protest group. That's um, interesting. I hadn't even thought about that because, like you say, it has a very specific meaning in Japanese, which is that "bara" is a slang term for gay culture. Uh, and it's sort rose, of like "maricon" yeah. um, uh, in uh, Hispanic culture means like butterfly, or yeah. no, mariposa, mariposa. Uh. Uh, I'm I'm trying to remember, but there's a but the Spanish culture conflates uh, the term butterfly with the term uh, with with gay culture as well. And there's sort of a connection point. Yeah. Um, In Japanese, the, the first big the first commercial gay culture magazine was it's it's after this film. I think it starts in it starts in the 1970s ish um, was called Barazoku, which means the Rose Tribe. Uh, so it used this sort of existing term for gay men, which is bara, bara tachi, etc. Um, uh. That had become sort of a slang term for the community. Um, I'm I'm not sure if it has, if if it's one of these things that was a slur that was reclaimed, possibly. But I think that there was, it's it's pretty commonly used in this sort of general. Roses, bara equals gay culture for quite a long time. You know, my take on the title, someone who didn't know any of that until you guys said it, uh, was that it's just a uh, series of words that get progressively better. Because funeral, <laughs> not so good. Parade can be good. Also can be terrible or annoying. Like, that, not when it's a that, funeral parade. No, but I'm saying like you got you to separate them from context. I'm just saying it's as individualized <laughs> words. Even the context in the yeah. sentence. Funeral, <laughs> mm, parade, what kind? Gay pride parade? Great. The fucking high school marching band walking all through the town? Uh, you know, maybe not so good. And then roses, no problems there. All, no problem. all nice. All roses so, yeah. are good. Yeah. All and, roses are but- good. So, yeah. It is just like it's words that progressively get better in their uh, individualized meaning, unconnected from the whole. I'm, but I'm really curious about where parade comes from in the translation because it's it's soratsu, which I, I think we would probably translate as funeral procession, right? Do we say we say funeral procession in English? Yeah, Do we. we- would yeah, you I don't say think parade? They, they, yeah, I don't think anyone says, are you coming to the parade? Uh, yeah, grandpa died. Yeah, uh, yeah, and we're all driving down. We're following the hearse to the to the cemetery. Yeah. And don't we forget to throw roses. candy for all the kids that have gathered yeah. for the parade. <laughs> but I like, I, I like this idea that it is something that combines good at the, at the back and bad towards the beginning. Because I think the idea is that there's this sort of it's something that's about death, that's about everything falling apart, but there's a beauty to it. And that's where the rose comes in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a better way to say my incredibly dumb thing I just said. <laughs> no, I, no, I like yeah. it. But thank I, you, I, I, Caitlin, I like thank you so much for giving dumb things I say meaning. Can you follow me around in life? I will. I will. <laughs> I think it would be helpful. Uh, but you uh, have to uh, do Caitlin the same to me. Caitlin from the smart community has reclaimed dumb things that Aaron has said. <laughs> Caitlin's like, no, I still get to use all the words that Aaron used. <laughs> <laughs> I still want to say dumb things. Now, now, now I'm going to be under pressure for the rest of this recording. I'm going to feel like I can't say dumb things. Things. 
Um, we Wait, I also only dumb things that if anybody rises above even a base level of intelligence, <laughs> we give them a standing ovation. Um, so the wait, I also really like the socialist angle too. I wanted to say yeah. that because there's a, there's like a I, when I was doing my research on like pre-war censorship, there's this weird sort of association between like the imperial government wants to censor anything erotic because that is suspect, and it also wants to censor anything red anything communist so there's this sort of like you have the communist red and then you have the erotic pink and so this sort of like pinkish erotic eroticism socialism all gets like mixed together uh and you you know roses are red that's that's the whole slippage so like there's something about the erotic that's a threat to the state in the same way socialism was it Hmm. has it has this really wonderful Con, uh, sort of connection point where, um, yeah, like yes, she is a a member of this sort of collective, and no, she might not necessarily be connected with all of the political stuff that they're doing in terms of like she's not necessarily reading all the same literature they're reading or whatever, but she is connected in the sense that both of them have been pushed to the the exteriors of society and. The rose serves as a really like wonderful metaphor for uh, what a sort of uh, rebellion within art could be. And mm-hmm. and there's this great moment very early on when we're first introduced to the group who is uh, just brutally, just in a very Clockwork Orange fashion, um, just absolutely brutally abusing a uh, inflatable chair. Oh and, yeah, and that that poor oh, chair. What's going on with that? Yeah, I remember seeing that. It was like, are they nine? <laughs> like, this is what the shit we would do in the driveway when we were kids in the suburbs. We're couch people. Well, <laughs> yeah, and that was like, like they, there was so much like concern about these youth gangs in the streets of Shinjuku. Like, it was like a big. Uh, fear point in the media at that time like it was something that they would talk about oh like all these kids are corrupt and just goofing off in the streets uh but this film like loves it's it's pro goofing off in the streets and they they are stamping they're they're stamping people's hands with a rose yeah and people are like wait what the fuck and then the movie cuts away from that gang for like 30 minutes (laughs) i was gonna say so in my notes the one the one random fact about Japanese media culture of the time that I wanted to bring in is the guy who interrupts the stabbing scene. So you know how like she's stabbing her eyes out and then yeah. suddenly there's this guy talking to you who says, oh, what a terrible fate. How awful. <laughs> he yeah. He's like, so his name is Yorogawa Nagaharu and he's basically like a film critic in Japan who had a like Sunday night movie show. And so they'd show a movie. He was basically like a Turner classic movies guy who would introduce and close <laughs> out the film. Uh, and his, his sign off was always sayonara, sayonara, sayonara. So when he says that in the middle of this movie, you get this sort of vibe of, oh, okay, we're in this very serious, very violent moment where we've just found out that this was all incest all along. And suddenly, this movie critic pops up and says, oh, wasn't this movie really traumatic? It's so funny. You know, 
I totally forgot about that moment because I went to go write down a note about how crazy and amazing that moment is. And then it, it's so quick, it popped right back up into the next eye. And I'm like, I I forgot about it in the time. But yeah, yeah. there is so many moments like it's like that are just so, so uh, quick and clever and funny. But like you don't even have time to process it because it's moved on to something something else. Yeah, and I just love that little cameo of like, yeah, why, why is why is this here? Like, why why did this happen? It's like a Robert Osborne, right? I guess just showed up, yeah. like at the end of like, uh, like Reservoir Dogs or some shit. And was like, oh, a lot of dead dudes now. Wow. <laughs> All right, back to the shooting. How cruel is the fate of man? I th- it's, it's, he says something like that. Um, yeah, and then and then uh, somebody says, let's look forward to the next program. Yes. Yeah. Because, of course, like, you know, there's a movie coming up next week that you have to watch. <laughs> God, it's it's so, uh, it is so, it, it makes it all the more vicious. Like, the idea, it's like, oh, yeah, you're bound up in this tragedy right now, but you're going to move right the fuck along, aren't you? Yeah. You saw your, you saw your sad, sad little drama about uh, a woman's life become becoming dissolved. Uh, next week, you're going to get something entirely different. Enjoy. And it, and it might also star PETA. It might also, yeah. Who ends up ends up doing quite a few films, or that? Well, a lot of a lot of the fun for me, at least, in studying uh, film culture to which I am not native, is this idea that once you enter into it, you have like a whole world of references and connections that are just as diverse and oftentimes gossip filled as Hollywood. But it's it's totally separate from the Hollywood world. So if you look at it, like the Japanese system, like there's all these families that are serious actors. Um, there are all these people like like PETA or like actors who don't really don't really end up famous in the U.S. They're only in one thing that Americans have ever seen. Um, but they had like the really diverse careers on Japanese television or in Japanese movies. So I'm sure we could talk about this movie for the rest of the night, but unfortunately, yeah. uh, we do have to wrap up. Yes. Uh, Peter, sleep. It's like we'll, we'll let. Yeah, I'd like yeah. To, I'd like to. I'd like to hand my time over to Caitlin. But before I do, I would like to say that I'm so fucking happy Caitlin brought this on the show. It it was so fun to talk about. It was so great to get to talk to Caitlin, and that this is the sort of thing that we would have probably never covered on the show. Yeah. Not because it's outside of our wheelhouse and our personal interests, but just because it would be hard to fit into a normal month. And it fit perfectly in this month. It ca- captured a lot of what we wanted to accomplish here. And my final note on that is sometimes people say like, oh, I'd love to be there for the great moments in history, like great moments in cinematic history. Like I'd love to be like an onlooker in uh, Buster Keaton's The General and get to watch him like do all these crazy train antics or, you know, uh, you know, even Jackie Chan getting to see Jackie Chan work on set is like, that's a genuine part of film history or, oh man, to be like, to, to be on set for Apocalypse Now, like great. If I could be on set for one film moment in history, uh, I would shoot to be in that shot where it's just all all these beautiful butts just lined up and one of them <laughs> has a rose in it i want to be the butt with the rose 
You think MacGruber stole that from from this movie? <laughs> it's a piece of celery. It's still like a plant in the butt, but the, you know, I, I don't think this movie invented sticking stuff in butts, right? <laughs> Maybe vegetarian. Yeah, probably not vegetation either. You're yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. MacGruber just took that from the the either. Yeah. <laughs> but if I could be anyone in in film history, um, I don't think I'm capable of you know becoming. Uh, Kurt Russell and the thing. I think, you know, based on where my talents lie and uh, what kind of moment I think would better signify me as a person, it would be Rose in the Butt. Um, thank you, Caitlin, for bringing the show on. Yeah, uh, we'll let, I'll let Caitlin say the final word, final thoughts on this. I just want to note that when Peter was listing like fun movie sets that he'd like to be on to witness historical moments, he said Apocalypse Now, <laughs> which. <laughs> Which, while a very good movie and definitely one with historical moments, seems like not the type of set you would say, yeah, I'd love to go hang out on the set of fucking Apocalypse Now, the movie that almost killed its stars and drove everyone insane. But that's, you know, Peter and I have different ideas of fun and I don't want to. I don't don't know. That sounds pretty good. (laughs) I'll say I am very glad that you brought this movie onto the show. Peter is 100% right that, like, it's not one that, uh, you know, I. I'd heard of it in the last couple of years. It was great to be able to like, oh, okay. I remember too when Carrie, who helped organize this month, sent us a note like, hey, you might have to buy this one. And I looked it up and I'm like, okay, yeah. Well, if we have to buy this one, we have to buy this one. This looks interesting if this kind of wins the poll. I was so excited for watching this one just because, as I mentioned, so many people were like, oh, holy shit, you guys are doing Funeral Parade of Roses. Like, and I just didn't have that many expectations of it. And uh, I'm glad that I did end up purchasing it because it is one of those movies that I just want to watch again and again. And being able to, you know, one of the one of the privileges of, of doing this podcast is that a lot of times I get to talk about uh, very interesting movies with very interesting people. And it only helps me appreciate it more or get me excited to go back the next time and mm-hmm. look for these little moments or, or, or theming or whatever else that I didn't get the first time or the second or the third time or even in some cases the 30th time so uh very excited that uh this has been such a blast of a month already and i uh, i'm so glad you brought this on it will not be the last time i watch uh the funeral parade of roses well that makes me very happy and i'm very happy you guys had me on and that it won won the poll and i think actually somebody else wanted to talk about it so maybe maybe i should have uh got some thoughts from them too um but so I guess for my final thoughts, I want to point out, and you already mentioned it, but if you, if you own this, you own some of the experimental shorts. And so I wanted, one thing that you don't really get to talk about if you're just focusing on this film is that Matsumoto has like a big career as yeah. like a documentary filmmaker he and like experimental films. And a lot of his shorts are also up online if you go on Ubu Web uh, and you can watch some of the other the films that like added to this film so like for my damaged right eye is is considered like a sort of pseudo prequel to this um but he's done like a lot of really cool uh documentaries and the whole premise his whole like approach to documentary filmmaking you can really see in funeral parade of roses yeah and this is this idea that like a documentary can't just show what's happening externally it also has to show what's happening in the person's mind um, so I guess for my final thought and the one of the questions I often bring up for students is is how 
does a fiction film also operate as a documentary? How can we view this as a, a document of the world that it's showing, um, even though it has this totally over the top and wild narrative of Oedipal and uh, murderous desires, too? Um, so yeah, um, I, I, I guess that's my closing thought. The one, the one of the questions that I would like close a class with, um, and I want to thank you guys for having me on, and also for uh letting me go all academic even though i i i try try to try to not be like totally over overly intellectual um but sometimes i can't turn it off so no this was this was so much fun i i do hope we we always invite guests on that we want it we can see coming back many times and we do hope that uh you'll definitely join us at some point in the future too Caitlin. oh yeah definitely if you if you uh, do anything weird in japanese i'm there that that seems like you'll fit in for a lot of months then. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Uh, we do need to know though uh, before we ask if you have anything to promote based on what we talked about at the beginning. Uh, if you could check on your time steps, what times you stopped having fun, and if there were any times that you regained having fun. I have never stopped steps. having fun. I had fun the whole time. And I am not saying that under duress. <laughs> yeah. As I hear paper ripping in the background. Is 100% fun. No Good. fake guns out here. <laughs> uh, uh, anything. You can always tell when uh, it gets late and everyone gets really tired. And you just uh, start saying weirder and weirder things. Yeah. Start saying weirder and weirder things. That's why if you ever listen to our episode, the endings are all like two people's brains melting while they try to remember how to say goodbye to, well, my, to a podcast My audience. podcast confession is that I often listen to them to fall asleep. So I've never heard never the end the of end. the podcast. <laughs> me, me neither. <laughs> um, including ours, because uh, everything goes dark in the old brain. Uh, but do you have anything to promote? Uh, not particularly. Watch more weird Japanese movies. Oh, you can follow me on Twitter. I am I'm Katie Yellow, but if you search Caitlin Cassiello, I'm the only one who has ever existed. Uh, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's pretty cool. That yeah. could have been one of your facts about yourself. I am the only Caitlin Cass, and the worst part is that my middle name is O'Donnell, so that's even less. Caitlin O'Donnell, can you? Yeah, you'll never find me, or you'll only find you'll, me. You'll find you very easily. Yeah, <laughs> Peter, we got one more of these left. We what sure are we do. doing to close out the month? Uh, and we are going to close out the month with Joey Lee, but I'm a cheerleader. Oh, that'll be good. Uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna close out with uh, a very different movie than the three preceding ones. This has been a fun mix. Yeah, we yeah. really got a good we really got a good cross section of like genre. Yeah. I mean, Bound queer, is queer Bound movies contains everything. Yeah, <laughs> yes. like Bound fit in perfectly with stuff we would do for this this show. But uh, we got awesome perspective and an awesome guest on it, which made it sort of stand up above, head and shoulders above what we would have done anyways. Closet Monster was like a very unique genre bender from like 2015 that we'd never heard of. And this is like a fairly, obs well, fairly obscure, but um, fairly... Becoming less obscure. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's just like a fascinating piece of cinema history and I was so glad we got to we got to talk about it. Thank you, Caitlin. Thank you guys. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, uh as always, we don't know how to end the show. Wait, I know how to uh, end it. Okay, end great. It. Sayonara. 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 I don't want to say anything else. Does that work? <laughs> yeah, it works great. <laughs> Hey!
Hey folks, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we've got just a few quick announcements for you. There ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs, baby. If you'd like to talk to us, uh, tell us we're stupid, tell us we're beautiful. The quickest way to get to us is our Facebook group, facebook.com slash we love to watch. Or our website, WLTWpodcast.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, We don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available if you don't use iTunes. We're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, Tune in. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. (laughs) That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, Let us know what you guys are thinking. And again, above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch.